It's here. Resurrection Sunday. The greatest day of the year. The greatest day of the year celebrating the greatest day of human history. It's here. Resurrection Sunday. And I'm grateful that we gather together as the church. And not just the church here in this spot, but church across the Kootenays, across Canada and around the world gathers to celebrate the reality that Jesus is not dead, that he is risen, and that he reigns at God's right hand. Today is a great day. Now I know that many of us come from different expectations or different places all to come to this place, all to get here. Some of you have been following Jesus for decades. Some of you have been following Jesus longer than I have been alive. And you come here today because you know that today is the greatest day. Some of you are here because you are still seeking. You still have lots of questions, maybe more questions than answers. And yet God has brought all of us to this place, drawn all of us to this moment to hear this good news. I love this story, this account of Jesus that all four gospel writers that they gave. And this morning I'm going to be speaking from Mark's gospel. Mark was a follower of and, and following Jesus, but listening to Peter, one of Jesus' closest uh, disciples. And as I've been reading Mark's account of what happened, I am moved. I was talking with my friends on Tuesday, and I've read this story hundreds of times, and yet still it just it buzzes with excitement for me, with life for me. And I'm grateful for this story. And Something has brought all of us here to hear it again. Brought all of us from different expectations, different backgrounds to this moment to hear again that Jesus is risen. To hear seven words that have changed the world. It's amazing, and I'll get into this, and you don't have to wait for these seven words, but, but listen again to the story of who Jesus is. And I need to give just a little bit of background. See, for some of you, maybe you, uh, churches, um, you haven't maybe heard some of the stories that Jesus was going throughout the, the ancient world. He was in uh, first century Israel. He was telling people and showing people what the kingdom of God looked like. He was teaching them what it meant. It wasn't about a bunch of rules. It was about faith in God, about faith in Jesus, about believing into him. And he was doing amazing miracles, healing people, all sorts of diseases. He was healing them, showing this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And people began to follow him. Thousands of people started to gather around him. And it was actually the day he came into Jerusalem, people were celebrating. It was like a parade, like a king was coming in to Jerusalem. And the religious leaders knew that they couldn't let him live. They knew they had to do something about him. So they did. They arrested him. They had one of his friends betray him. Many of you heard the name Judas. They had him betray him, and they brought him before uh, the chief priest, uh, the religious leader of their time. And they brought him before him and they had all these questions about him and all these accusations, but nothing could line up until finally the chief priest asked him, are you the son of God? Are you the son of the blessed one? And Jesus says, I, I am. And you'll see the son of man sitting at the right hand of God and coming on the clouds of heaven. And these, these are loaded words in, in Israel. These mean, this means that Jesus is saying that I am God. And at that, the chief priest tore his robes and, and it was over. They said, what more do we need to hear? So they sent him off to the Roman governor at the time, Pilate, who was there because Rome had, had occupied Israel at that time. And they sent uh, Pilate to question him. And Pilate says, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus says, it is as you say. And the religious leaders were trying to convince him, no, it's not that. We, just, we know that he's trouble. He's causing trouble for Rome. And so Pilate handed him over to be crucified. 
And they took Jesus, these Roman soldiers, they took him into the praetorium or into the palace and they beat him. They dressed him like a king and they made fun of him. They mocked him. They took a crown of thorns and twisted it together and pressed it down on his head. They beat him until he bled. And then they walked him out to be crucified. And many of you have seen pictures of crucifixion, Jesus hanging on a cross. It was excruciating. The hot sun up on a cross, hands nailed. He was already bleeding. And on a cross, really, you died from, uh, from suffocation because you had to lift your body to breathe. And over time, your body just got exhausted until you couldn't breathe anymore, and you would suffocate and die. And Jesus died on a cross. And when he died on a cross, the heavens, it was dark. The, the curtain of the temple, which separated people from God, was torn in two. And there was a Roman centurion. He was standing right in front of him, and he said, Surely this man must have been the Son of God. And then that, that day, they laid him in a tomb. As Tracy was talking with the kids, rolled a stone across, a large stone. And that's where we pick up the story today. So after the Sabbath, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, they bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And then very early on the first day of the week, just after the sun had risen, they were on their way to the tomb asking each other who's going to roll away the stone. And when they got there, they looked up. And the stone had been, the stone, which was very large, Tracy talked about it, had been rolled away. And as they went into the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, the one who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See, this is the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of them into Galilee. And you will see him there, just as he told you. Now the women were trembling and bewildered, and they went out, and they fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were terrified. Let's pray again that we would hear God's word, and that it would uh, enter into our lives today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we praise you for this word. We praise you for Mark's account, listening to Peter and the story that Peter told him about Jesus and his resurrection. We praise you for what this means, Lord. We praise you for the ways... Those seven words, he is risen, he is not here. The way these words have changed our lives. We pray that you'd help us hear your word again today, Lord. Amen. So like I said earlier, we all come from different expectations or come to the tomb with different expectations. And the women were no different. And I have to say one thing. It was interesting, uh, and maybe we don't catch it because things are quite different in, in our time but it's interesting that the first witnesses of the resurrection are women. You see, in the ancient world, women were not highly regarded. In fact, women, they, if they were, say, in a, in a court proceeding or a legal proceeding, they wouldn't even listen to women's testimony. They didn't even trust it. And so for me, this is an interesting point of truth, or it has this ring of truth, because I think if Mark were trying to pull the wool over our eyes, 
trying to make up an elaborate story for us to believe, I don't think he would have used women as witnesses. He would have used men. But the fact that he reports as it happened, these women went to the grave and they saw that the tomb was empty. For me, this has the ring of truth. Mark's not trying to, to make anything more elaborate than it needs to be. He's just telling us what happened. But it's interesting that these women went to the tomb. And you can tell that they had a very different expectation than what they found. Right? Because they didn't go to the tomb with a plate of food for the risen Lord. They didn't go with something for him to eat because they know he hadn't eaten in three days and that he must be hungry because he was risen. No, they had bought burial spices so that they could anoint his body. They expected to find him dead. They're not going to the tomb early in the morning, rushing to meet their risen Lord and to worship him. They're going because they expect to find their, their leader dead and they're going to pay their last respects. Now, it's not because of doubt. Like, these are really faithful women. Mark tells us that these women were also at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. Those last moments when he died, they were right there. When everybody else, all of his disciples, all the guys that he had spent so much time pouring into, when they had all scattered and left, these women remained. And they were faithful. But they were coming to the tomb expecting to find Jesus dead, not risen. They had a very different expectation. So you can imagine what happens when they see that the stone has rolled away. I mean, they're talking, how are we going to move this enormous stone that probably weighs a ton? How are we going to move this stone? And they get there, and the thing is already rolled out of the way. It's amazing to think about. And then they go into the tomb, and Mark, I love how understated Mark is. Mark says they went into the tomb, and they saw a young man wearing a white robe, and they were alarmed. (laughs) Right? Right? I mean, I'd be freaking out. So there's this young man, which again, Mark's understatement. Uh, the other gospel, like Matthew and his gospel and John, his gospel say it was an angel. And that's uh, and a man in white robed or a young man in white robed. That's a kind of a Jewish way of saying it was an angel. It was an angel there and he says, don't be alarmed. It's amazing how often when God speaks to people, when God shows up in people's lives, he has to say, don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. And so this angel shows up here and he says, do not be alarmed. And he says, Jesus of Nazareth, you're looking for Jesus of the Nazarene, right? The one who was crucified. And then he says these seven words. He is risen. He's not here. These seven words, if you read through all of Mark's gospel, hopefully some of you did did that this last week. I did. It was amazing to hear everything coming to the point of the crucifixion and Jesus' resurrection. But you could read all of Mark's gospel, some 16 chapters, and miss these seven words. That he is risen. That he is not here. And it's amazing how these seven words have changed, have changed individuals' lives. They've changed our lives. They've changed my life. How they've changed the world. I mean, think about it. Even the year that we celebrate, 2016, is based on the death of Jesus. Or the birth and, or the birth and life of Jesus. God has changed the world through his son. But the women, you can imagine them as they're standing there in the tomb. This surprised look on their face, just absolutely bewildered. And so the angel says, look, here's the place where they laid him. It's empty. He's gone. And then he says to them, he says these words of of, um, mission. Sending them out, he says, but go and tell. And I think those are key words for all of us. Go and tell. 
go and tell the disciples and Peter. I didn't get into that, but Peter had denied Jesus three times when Jesus was being tried, when he was being uh, tortured. Peter denied him three times, just as Jesus said he would. And Peter was one of those guys like, no way, no way, I'm going to be with you right to the end, Jesus. And he didn't. He failed. He left him. He uh, abandoned him. And so this angel, it's important that he says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Even though Peter blew it, he's still not out. There's still grace for him. Go and tell him that uh, Jesus is going into Galilee ahead of them, just as he said. So many things that God has done, just as he said. And he tells us beforehand, not that, so that when it does happen, we won't be afraid, but that we will trust him and trust him that it will happen just as he said. And so these disciples, so these, these women, these disciple women, they come to this tomb, this bright, or sorry, this early morning, first day of the week, Sunday, the tomb is silent, and they hear these seven words. He is risen. He is not here. And it's like I said, we all come to Jesus' tomb or to Sunday morning, to Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, with, with different expectations. I have to tell you, this is the center of my faith. The fact that Jesus lived and died and that I believe he rose again is the center of my faith. It's not that I was, when I was younger, I looked at, you know, the qualifications of a Christian and what Christians are supposed to do and not do and what they're supposed to dress like. It's not that I looked all that stuff up and said, yeah, I want to be that. It's that I began with the reality that Jesus lived and died and rose again. Now I know the the rose again or the risen again part, that's the part that requires faith. I know that. But I have to tell you how believing in Jesus, how following him these last 12 years in earnest have changed my life. And how Jesus has helped me through some of the most difficult things and continues to help me through the most difficult things in my life. And I'm going to be honest with you, there are things about scripture and about our faith that I still don't understand. There are things about faith and about following Jesus sometimes that I wish that were different. But I keep coming back to this central point that Jesus lived and that he died and that I believe that he rose again. As I follow Jesus, I keep coming back to that central place. And I think about the reality that he lived and died and rose again. The fact that he lived and died is pretty well a historical fact. I know there's some who've tried to say that, you know, Jesus, the whole thing is just made up, but I have to disagree. I mean, you have Roman historians like Tacitus who are talking about this, this Jesus or this, they said this Christ or Christus who, who died in Israel, who was um, crucified by Pontius Pilate. You have uh, Jewish historians like Josephus talking about this Jesus and his uprising. You have Jewish rabbis who are talking about Jesus. There's just too many people in the ancient world who, who talk about Jesus for him to be just made up. But not only that, so the fact that Jesus lived and died is, is true. I think any historian you ask would say, yeah, he's, it's true that he lived and died. But it's the place that he rose again. That's the place that comes through faith. That's the part that we have to rely on faith. And for me, it's not as big a leap. I mean, there's definitely difficult times, but but the fact that his followers worshipped him and said he was God, 
I just don't know they would do that if, if he just died on a cross and stayed dead. I just don't think they would do it. I mean, lots of people, thousands of people were crucified in the ancient world. Hundreds were probably even crucified that year in Israel. So I just don't think they would worship him just because he was crucified. And the fact that they would go on to say that he actually rose again, I, I just can't believe that they would do that if he hadn't really rose again. Because actually, all of them were, all of these disciples, all of his disciples, they were, they were persecuted. They were tortured for believing him. The, the tradition is that, that Peter was actually, one of his closest followers was actually crucified upside down because he did not want to be crucified upside right like his Lord. I just can't see how these guys, when they faced with a life or death question, they would say, yeah, you know, we know we made it up, but we're still going to die for it. I just can't see it. The only thing that makes sense to me is that they really saw Jesus. They knew it was true, and so they were willing to die for him. But I'm telling you that that part comes for us, it comes by faith. You can't, you can't explain the resurrection and us to, us to have faith that way. It comes through the Holy Spirit. I'm a firm believer in that. And some of you, some of you, I am envious of you. Some of you have faith and it's just easy for you. Some of us, it's difficult sometimes. We have questions. But I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit works in me. I believe it works in all of us. Hopefully it works in all of us that we would see, that we would trust that Jesus is not dead. He is risen. So we can get really close with Jesus' life and death with good questions and good answers to those questions, but faith, ultimately, that's where faith comes in, is believing that he is risen. And I think that's the thing that sometimes I think people who are curious about Jesus but are a little bit leery of Christianity, they come and think, you know, I, I'm just not sure I'm ready for the whole religion thing. And I'm, trust me, I'm the last person who would be up here encouraging you to religion for religion's sake. But I would say, look at the story of Jesus. Listen to the accounts from Mark and from Matthew and from Luke and from John. I have a hard time believing that these guys would just make up this elaborate story and then die for it. But also, it comes to faith. It comes to as a gift of the Holy Spirit. And, I mean, there have been times, I know people who have prayed, you know, Jesus, I don't believe in you, but I pray that you would help me. I pray that you would show me. And over time, God answers that prayer. I think God does, loves to answer that prayer. So this morning, I realized that we are all coming from different angles, coming with different expectations to Jesus too. Some of you are here because everything you've tried has failed. You've tried working hard to make life work, and it just isn't. Or maybe you've tried being really good and really smart with your money, and it still just is not working out. You're here because you just can't make it work. Or maybe some of you are here because you hear about things happening in our world, like bombs going off in Brussels or violence in Vancouver. You're thinking there's something broken in us. There's something broken in this world. Maybe some of you are here this morning because you sense that brokenness in yourself. There are things that have happened in your life, things that you have done that you are ashamed of, that you regret, and you don't know what to do with it. And no matter how much you drink or how many new things you buy, you just can't bury that sense that there is something wrong, that you need help. 
Maybe some of you are here because everything is going really well. You can't believe how easy life is. The bills are paid, the house is nice, great car, money left over, everything, and yet you still have this nagging sense that there's supposed to be more. There's supposed to be more to life than this, than just stuff and being comfortable. There's supposed to be meaning that's bigger. This morning, as we gather here on Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday, around this empty tomb, I want you to know that God is pursuing you. Whether you've been following him for decades or if you still have more questions than answers, God is pursuing you. And he loves you. Jesus died on a cross because God loves us. I can't think of more a more um, powerful way to demonstrate love than to die for your friend, to die for those that you care about. So for those of you who are here who have lost faith in, in making life work on your own, I'm inviting you, encouraging you to put faith in God. It doesn't mean that life will be easy, but it does mean that life will be good. For those of you who see this world as broken and think there's got to be something, there must be something more than this, I encourage you. I believe that Jesus has made this church for the sake of the world, to be a blessing in the world. But even more than that, I believe that Jesus is coming again one day to make this place right, to fix everything that's broken, that no longer will there be tears, that swords will be beat into plowshares and spears will be beat into pruding hooks. For those of you who are here this morning because you have this nagging sense that there is something wrong, you have this shame or regret that you just can't shake, I want to encourage you that Jesus' death on the cross, the fact that he is risen, you have this amazing opportunity to be forgiven and reconciled to God. For those of you who are here this morning because life is just easy and you think there has to be more than this, I want to encourage you God has this amazing desire for this world. And he draws all of us into it, giving us meaning bigger than ourselves to be a part of God's mission in this world, of his love for this world. So this morning, I know that we all come here from different places. Some of you, like I've said, you've been following Jesus longer than I have been alive. And I look up to you. Some of you are here, and some of you have more questions than answers, and that's okay. I'm just inviting you to take that next step. Take that next step and and read or listen again to the fact that that tomb was empty. Listen again to those seven words that have changed people's lives, that have changed this world. That he is risen. He's not here. Amen.